the Wrong Side of the Red Line Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, I'm just going to start, I guess I'll start today with my trip this past weekend down to Austin to watch the Texas Stars play because I don't know, I'm not really in the mood to do a podcast just about penalty kills and changing goalies and inability to win on the road. I'm just not in the mood to dedicate an entire podcast to that today. Hasn't that really Um, been what this podcast's entire existence has kind of been about? Yes, and no, I'd like to think we've added a little bit of... uh, of our own things, but we've talked about those things way too much. Um, at length. I, at length, and there's really only so much uh, we can talk about those things. Um, I mean, last night was, uh, we're recording this on Monday, the Stars 5-1 lost to San Jose the other night. I mean, if you needed, it seems like there's always, we keep finding a, a new game to be like, oh, that's as low as it can get, and I mean, the game they played again last night against San Jose, they, it was obvious, I mean, it's probably the most obvious we've seen all season of them just absolutely quitting, just not caring. Um, I thought the only player that actually did any, that actually played well and seemed to actually give a damn really was Remy Ellie, and <laughs> that was it. I mean, I couldn't find any other positive from from that game that they lost to San Jose the other night, and that's and, and sometimes I try and find positives. Just sometimes, not all the time. Just some, sometimes. It's not you can't always look for the positive. I guess. Well, yeah, there's not really a lot of positives <laughs> you can find in a five to one loss. No. Um, so this weekend, I'll, this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, went back down to uh, Cedar Park to watch the Texas Stars play. And uh, watch them. Then watch them lose to Iowa pretty badly. Actually, watch them lose to Iowa five to one on Friday, and then they lost to. Uh, and then they lost to Iowa three to two on Saturday. So, and uh, we've talked before about how the system's a little bit barren right now, which is frustrating. But um, got my first look at Dylan Hetherington, and uh, I wrote up a full scouting report on him, and have a story on him today. Um, the player they acquired for Lori Korpakoski in the trade with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, I feel confident in saying, definitively saying, they actually won that trade. Because, for one, getting any player for Lori Korpakoski was winning a trade. But um, the Dylan Hetherington, um, I thought it was a very good I thought he, I thought he looked good. He was uh, He's a stay-at-home defensive first defenseman. He looks like a guy who will play in the NHL someday. Now the question for me is just what type of role does he play in the NHL? Is he the Johnny Oduya in his prime? Not Johnny Oduya of this season. Johnny Oduya in his prime. Um, or is he the uh, Cameron Gonces of the world who will play 15, 20 NHL games? Either way, I think he's an NHL player at some point, and I liked his game a lot. Um, that was a saw, – saw that this weekend down in Cedar Park. Julius Honka is uh, – We've talked about Honka before on this podcast, and the more I watch him play down there, it's it's not hurting his development, but it's stunting his development to have him play in the NHL the rest of the season. The dogs, the dog, the dogs have opinions on this, Uh-oh. obviously. Um, the uh, the mail comes every day at around the same time. Come on. Um, the. Uh, where was oh Honka? Um, the Julius Honka doesn't need to be in the AHL anymore because he doesn't. He's not learning from his mistakes. Any mistakes he's making in the AHL now, he's either making up for them right away because he's fast enough to make up for them, or he's uh, or he's not being punished for the mistakes. Like for example, in the game against Iowa the other night, he made a play at a blue line, which was where he makes a one-handed keep on the puck has it poked away and is good enough to get it back and make a play and make and keep the play alive where in the NHL if he makes that it's a turnover and ends up in the in his net on the other end of the ice. I mean it's yeah. it's it's one of those with him where it's reached the point where I know they already have if we call him up it'd be eight defensemen, but this organization has already sent us the message that Patrick Nemeth is not part of their future plans, unfortunately, for, for fortunately for Patrick Nemeth. And or maybe maybe good for Patrick Nemeth. Maybe it means he'll have another opportunity somewhere else next year. But maybe he can the, play uh, for a team that isn't uh 
allowing the most goals per game in the NHL. I know. They, uh, they, they, they moved into a tie with Colorado for most goals allowed this season. In one They're... one more game played. So I guess Colorado is... Is it one more? I just had the same... One more game, so I guess Colorado still has that crown. Yeah. But they're chasing him. They're going to catch him. I mean, Connor McDavid could score six tomorrow night. Yeah. That, I mean, on, if we're being completely honest, I would like that, though, for my fantasy team because that's all I really care about right now. I was reminded this morning that I had a fantasy hockey team. Um, I see. I pay attention to this one because it's it's a pool that I do with the guys that I used to play with in California, and there's actually a lot of money on the line in this one. So it's not like just the ESPN league that you join with a couple of coworkers just for shits and gigs. In this one, I've been better than every single team by at least 200 points over the last month, except for one, and that's the guy who's in first place. He's leading me by 500 points. Hmm. Give you a to uh, give you a kind of a I guess a frame of reference to what that entails you get 15 points for a goaltending win 40 points for a shutout those are the only goaltending categories it's for forwards it's like 10 goals or 10 points for a goal five for an assist five bonus points if it's a game-winning power play goal game-winning or power play goal I think it's 10 for 10 bonus for a shorthanded defenseman's 15 for a goal 10 for an assist with the same bonuses so 500 points is a lot of points in this league and he's beating me by 500 points with about 15 games left in the season. Well, I w- hopefully your fantasy team does better. I, uh, I mean, yours at least, so you paid attention to yours in a second. I'm in a fantasy league that I completely forgot about. I actually paid the $15 or whatever it was. I don't even remember how much money I paid to get into it. And um, and somehow I may make the playoffs. Like, this is, this is one of those things where I haven't looked at it in... I'm in fourth, and I haven't looked at the team in easily three months, probably. And team's in fourth. Uh, I had Antoine Roussel on my team, which apparently was pretty good for penalty minutes in the league but until he had the injury. But I've had him, I've, I've been having had him on the roster and not put him on IR. Um, but I made that move today. Um, and th- apparently, I've had Kerry Price on my bench for three months, too. Beautiful. It may be the worst. Beautiful. It, it may be. It may be. It may be the worst mismanagement of a fantasy hockey team you've ever seen, and somehow it's in fourth place right now. Nice. Yeah, and I just it's, pulled up. It's a. It's a. It's a head-to-head league, so it must have just. I must have just gotten really lucky, just with oh, other people having terrible weeks. Yeah, or they don't pay attention either. But every, other people are. Other people have because I see like I, I checked the transaction wire just to see what other people have done. So other people are making moves and doing things on somewhat, not daily, but at least paying attention week to week. And uh, I, on the other hand, am not. I've been 150 points better over the last month than everyone except for the guy who's in first place. We've had the the same exact number of points the last 30 days. So I'm 495 points out of first place right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, it's come to that we're talking about fantasy hockey right now. That's kind of what the, t- the Dallas Stars season has come to, isn't it? Well, you texted me today, and you're like, I don't even know. What, uh, technically, I guess it was today. It was what, like one thirty in the? Well, it was one thirty or one o'clock my time. I don't remember. You're like, I don't even know what to talk it was about after, tomorrow. Yeah, it was after the game last night. It was one of those where I wrapped up checking stuff out from after the game last night, and it was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. I suggested a bye week, but apparently that's frowned upon. <laughs> I, fe- no, I feel like I'm in a bye week. Eh. I had my spring break last week, and I'm still in spring break mode. I had to stagger my ass to my 1 o'clock class today because I couldn't. Just It started snowing again, and I'm not prepared to deal with snow in the middle of February, April, March, whatever month it is. Wow, third time's the charm. Yeah, good, 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 good one on that. Are you going up to uh, Houghton on uh, on Saturday? No, I uh, I didn't think they'd even bother asking me because two years ago they wouldn't send me to Minneapolis for the final five, and so I just assumed that. Well, one, I didn't assume that Bowling Green would get as far as they got, so I didn't mm-hmm. think of it. But then two, I figured even if they did, if they weren't going to send me to Minneapolis, they weren't going to send me to Mankato or Houghton. So I didn't make plans for that. And then my boss texts me today. He's like. Here he asked me if we were meeting Bergeron this week, and then he said, I have one more question for you. I'm like, I am not going to 
<laughs> the UP. So don't even bother. Yeah. Well, the uh, I just got an email from the AHL that uh, Iowa defenseman Nick Sealer has been suspended three games for consequences of a match penalty against Texas the other night. Um, did you see the uh, Did you see the highlight of that hit? I did not. It was. Uh, let's thanks to the power of technology. I'll show it to you right now on the. Uh, so Jamel Smith got uh, got crushed late in the game against Iowa the other night, and it was. So shockingly, the Texas Stars actually tweeted out the GIF, which is kind of weird because I've never seen a team on their own player. GIF. 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 Oh, this is not peanut butter. It is graphic interface facsimile or something. I don't remember, but it's graphic. GIF. 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 I'm done with you. I'm hanging up now. <laughs> well, uh, did you get the moving picture that I sent you? Where did you send it to me? Send it to you through the magic of text message. Oh, yeah. There goes, moving, there goes my phone clicking at me. Hold on. Moving pictures of the, uh, of the hit on uh, Jamel Smith that got uh, Nick Steeler suspended for three games. Tap to load preview. Um, okay. Let's open in Twitter. Here we go. Oh. Woof. Speaking of big hits, did you see <laughs> Pavel Datsu got a game misconduct in the KHL for hitting? I did. I didn't even that think was... that hit was that bad. That was, uh, but it was very unpavel, very unpavel of him. That was a bad hit. That looked nasty. But no, like that the Datsu kit, like he literally stopped and the guy ran into him. And then someone's trying yeah. to fight Pavel Datsuk. Like, who the why are you trying to fight Pavel Datsuk? What do you think you're gonna accomplish by that? Not very much. Like, He's uh because Pavel's just looking at him like, what do you what are you is this for real right now? Are you really trying to go? Because I'm not about this. Speaking of Pavel and the Stars, we can connect things back. Uh, Val Nachushkin has actually looked very good in the KHL playoffs. There's some positive news, assuming he comes back. Okay, so I guess this, we could talk about this. Yeah, let's so, talk about this. So I guess, the I don't know if it was the rumor, if it was the kind of understood knowledge that he left because he didn't like Lindy Ruff, or he didn't like how Lindy Ruff was using him, correct? That's uh, That's a fair assessment. Does Lindy Ruff not coming back next year make it more or less likely that Val opts out of his KHL deal after one year? Or does he he signed two years, right? Or so does he stay there for two full years, or does Lindy leaving improve the chance of him coming back? I guess in your opinion, because I'm assuming you don't have, you wouldn't have any insight, inside info into that thought process at all. Um, I haven't talked to Val directly. However, I've talked to some people about it, uh, and. I think uh, they are expecting him to. Uh, they they basically the way it's been put to me by some people in the know. Um, from they are expecting him to spend this coming year in the KHL. However, the stars obviously have set past precedent of helping players get out of KHL contracts because that's how Garyanov is over here this year. Garyanov was on a two-year contract. And then uh, after last season, they helped Garyanov work to get out of his KHL contract. So the plan right now is they are expecting him to be in the KHL next season. However, don't rule out the possibility of the Stars doing what they can to help him um, get out of that contract. Because that's a pretty because that ends up if they do that, that ends up being a pretty big quote unquote free agent acquisition. Then bringing him back. Yeah, somebody was asking about this. Somebody was asking about this earlier today. That like, what do I think they were going to do in the off season, and um, what big top six forwards would they be bringing back in? Well, if uh, if they can get him to come back, if they get him to come back next season, and he can actually have the impact you 
it can have the type of impact that we know he's capable of. That's a huge. That's a huge boost for this team, um, where he can. Uh, that answers a lot of questions, and it becomes. Uh, and you're adding, and you're not olding, You're not adding an older, aging UFA. You're adding a 21 year old kid, who I think, 21 year old kid who even when he was here, um, not only was he not happy with his ice time, he also still wasn't. Uh, I still don't think we ever saw him at 100 percent because of that hip because of that hip surgery, because we never saw him a full year removed and a full. I still think he was dealing with effects of that when he was here, so he could come back and be a better, be a much better, and would be a much. I would hope he'd be a much better player than he ever was here before. That makes sense because I don't think that is something that gets discussed enough. Was the impact that. I mean, we talked a lot about Jamie Ben this year, obviously recovering from his core muscle mm-hmm. surgery, but foul coming off of hip surgery, that's, I mean, that's obviously a pretty big deal too. And I just kind of glancing at the free agent market right now, in terms of UFAs, there's not really a ton that you would think off the top of your head. I know just from memory, Tyler Johnson's unrestricted, but I'm not sure that he's someone that would fit here. I mean, I guess he could, but I mean... You're already looking at Sagan and Spets of the two contracts they're making, and granted, those two aren't exclusively centers, but to con- invest that kind of money down the middle, plus you have Eakin, plus Fox is due for a new deal. That's already a lot of money you have committed to down the middle. So that's, I don't know that that he would be a guy they'd target. I don't know if TJ Oshie's a guy that they would target. Oh, this is Tyler Johnson's restricted arbitration eligible. I don't, I don't know. I thought he was unrestricted. Whatever. But there's just, I mean, yeah. in terms of free agents, I just, I don't know. I don't think there's a ton of true impact forwards out there this year. I don't think so either. I mean, that's why adding, add, that Stars are the only team that could add Val, obviously. Um, and he would be, that would be a big boost for this team. And I think that would add, I know some people, I know a couple people, I still get people, and I know you agree with me because you tweeted at me the other day. I still get people who think that they should leave him unprotected because they think that he's a, a lost cause. And the problem, and it's just, I don't know how many times I can reiterate the fact that he's only 21, he's a top 10 pick. And you know what? A lot of the th- same things would have happened with any other prospect if you, if you forced them to play at 19 in the NHL and they weren't playing well. I mean, it's just, it's... He's going to be protecting the expansion draft. I don't know how many times I can say that. I, I'm particularly in a combative mood today. Mm-hmm. And I really would just, anyone who listens to this podcast who doesn't think he should be project, protected, I really would love to hear why. Because it just makes zero sense to me what, whatsoever. And I get people look at him in a different light because he has been here already. He was here for three years. Granted, one of them was almost completely washed away because of his hip surgery, but he was in North America for three years and then went back. Mm -hmm. So I get that that leaves you kind of, when you kind of think about it, you're like, oh, he's 24 years old, 25 years old already, bringing him back. He's going to be blah, 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 blah. No, he's like, they could, I mean, even if they bring him back next year or in two years, he's still going to be under 24 years old when he comes back, which is typically when these guys come over from the KHL for their first go around anyway. If it's done right, that's typically when these guys will come, is in their, when they're closer to their mid-20s than their early 20s. And at this point, it's like he's your top prospect. Most of your top prospects are going to be, they're not going to be playing in the NHL when they're 20, 21 years old. Why would you just give up on that right now? It's like, it's like I can't even think of a freaking analogy for this because it's just it's so baffling to me. It's like you're just giving someone your top prospect like here you go we don't want him he left to russia we don't care about him anymore like why would you do that what's the logic behind it it would be like uh for example just because i was i was just reading through hockey news's future watch earlier today so it would just be like uh for example um columbus giving up uh pierre luc dubois in in the expansion draft basically he's not eligible for the expansion draft but it would be like pierre columbus saying here's our third overall pick from last year the guy who uh, was the only one to go after line a and line a and matthews um but we're not going to keep him i mean that's what that's what that that's what it would be the equivalent of um i mean i can say i mean nachushkin in my mind is 
the second best prospect and sorry, second or third best prospect in the star system, depending on how you look at things. It's either it goes Honka first and then it goes him or Gurionov are both second and third or right next to each other there. Um, I know the hockey news is in their future watch issue that just came out. They had Guri- they had a uh, Nichushkin at second in theirs and they moved him back into the prospect rankings. He's a prospect again. That's how people just need to accept um, look at look at Val and think about him as a prospect who there was a cup of coffee here, but now he's gone back to in the KHL is just like him being Rupe Hintz, for example, in Finland, or being any other prospect, or like when Klingberg was playing in Sweden. It's just like having a prospect over in Europe. Just look at it that way, um, and that and, and that that's the best way to look at it because there's not. He'll be back in the NHL at some point. He wants to be in the NHL at some point. The Stars have contact with him. Uh, he just wants to play more. He wants, and even even if you were even if you didn't think he was part of the future, he's such a valuable asset that they would never leave unprotected as well. Right, and I get that our sense of reality sometimes gets distorted by you see guys like Tyler Sagan who come in and win a Stanley Cup at 19 and are consistent point per game players by the time that they're 22 years old. Not all players grow like that, and I mean, and Val came in, and I know we talked about this before, but how they handled that whole situation was just it was, it's not that it was messed up from the player perspective it was just messed up from an asset management mm-hmm. point of view because you, they should have just and i get that you're there everyone gets the big red scare with russians that if they don't come in and cater to them and baby them that they're just going to bolt for the khl and you want to get them away from the khl as soon as possible so they don't get poisoned or blah 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 whatever the hell people call it these days but they should have just let him stay in Russia and develop at his own pace. Because I, and this is this kind of ties into something I saw recently when Swedish hockey executives were meeting with NHL GMs, yeah. and they straight up they stole they told NHL GMs, "Don't bring our guys over if you're going to play them in the AHL. We want them playing in Sweden because we feel like that's a better development path for them." And you can argue the merits for that whatsoever. But guys, when they come over from Europe, they're not coming over to play in the AHL. They're developing at home, and they're coming here because they want to play in the NHL. And I don't think that's wrong of them to think that way because they see it as, well, I feel like I can play in a better developmental league at home and make more money at home and be close to home. So why shouldn't I do that? Why would I come and take bus rides in North America when I could take plane flights in my homeland and make more money doing it? It's a slippery slope because I personally believe in the stars. It's just that there wasn't a way to handle it. You, you needed him to be able to. Personally, I think better development. And this, in my opinion, is players develop better in the AHL. That's my that's my personal opinion. Now, I do understand and I accept the. I really understand all of the. Uh, if if anyone hasn't if anyone hasn't looked into it, go ahead and just kind of read a little bit more about this situation where the Swedish hockey officials came over to NHL GMs and asked them. But and I actually really respect the point of view where it's uh, these Swedish teams are putting the money in. It's, it's a club system over there. So they, they, a kid starts playing with them and working with them when they're, what, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Yeah, something kid. like that. Yeah. And then they play with them up until they're 17, 18, 19. They get drafted, and then they, they, and they come over to North America. And it's in the point of view from the Swedish hockey officials, and it's, it's a very fair point of view, is that why are clubs going to continue to put money into developing kids if they're never going to see the return on their end? What do they get from? What do they get from? What do they get from? Uh, I know, uh, for example, one of the hot names around this was uh, uh, the knee, uh, which Nylander is it? Alex. 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 Alex Nylander, and and even there was the quote in that in the one story from uh, from uh, the the quote from the GM in Buffalo saying that in in Sweden there's a relegation system and. If he's not playing well, he might be he might be lower in the lineup and not get ice time. Where I can go and tell my AHL coach to play a kid and, and deal with it. I see both sides of it. Um, I think it's a I think the best way to handle things is a player by player situation. I think Nachushkin should have stayed in the KHL. I think he should have started stayed in the KHL for a year or two, and then come over and then and then been. You just have to figure out how to manage each individual player. Um, I think Julius Honka was good because he was a guy, he was a Finn who wanted to come to North America and 
and wanted to come and played in Swift Current for a year and wanted to play in the AHL. So he was a good good player to have play in the AHL right here. Same thing with Guriano. If Guriano was a player where he pushed to come over to North America, you have to handle it player by player. Uh, I think we're seeing how the Stars mishandled one player and how, and it, well, the Red Wings mishandled it to start, but Matthias Backman, the Matthias Backman saga that is um, kind of is more or less coming to an end with the Stars. Matthias Backman was assigned in an AHL assignment deal to the Hershey Bears last week, right before the AHL movement deadline. And, and Matthias Backman is still technically a Stars prospect, but when you're assigning your prospect to another team's organization, and the Capitals are assigning one of their prospects to the Texas organization. It's essentially waving the white flag that we're done with this guy. That that that's what it is. Especially for a guy who everyone thought was oh well he could be an NHL player. Stars have basically waved the white flag. Matthias Backman's done. We'll send him to Hershey. Maybe he plays well enough in Hershey, and somebody wants him, and then we can trade him for an asset. He's a guy, and he's the same guy who when he was in Grand Rapids before the Stars traded for Backman. Um, Matthias Backman and Matthias Janmark, the two Matthias's, were the uh, return in the Eric Cole trade. And you took, uh, and Backman, when they traded for him there, there was already that issue where he left Grand Rapids in the middle of the season to go play back in Sweden because he wanted more playing time and he wasn't happy with his time in Grand Rapids and he went back there. It's just, my long-winded point here is it's, it's very much a, you have to handle it individually player by player. Um, I don't think there's a, there's not one exact formula, but sometimes you really swing and miss on a guy because on the right way to handle a guy. Because I think going back to Val, spend a year in the KHL, spend two years in the KHL, because he, he wasn't going to go to the AHL because he's one of those guys who a Russian kid doesn't grow up, a Russian kid, a Swedish kid doesn't grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to go play in Rochester, New York. Or I'm going to go play road games in Des Moines, Iowa. They think, when I get to North America, I'm going to be playing in the NHL. That was really long-winded, and I hope that I, I made my point somehow. Well, yeah, and it's it's obviously it's not, I mean, with anything in life, unless it's like a tie or something like that or a pair of socks. There's no such thing as one-size-fits-all. Like, if you look at, I mean, it's obviously easy to see in hindsight, but if you look at Val, his last year in the KHL, he played 18 games. So mm-hmm. it's not like he was coming off of a fantastic year in the KHL where you could point at this guy and say, he is ready for big-time NHL minutes right now. And sometimes that, I mean, then you bring him over here, and obviously you're, you said you're not sending him down, and you got to keep him in the lineup. And so, I mean, you got to live through the growing pains. And I, I honestly think that, I mean, the hip surgery obviously didn't help. I think it would be really interesting to see what would have happened if he didn't lose his ent- almost entire second year to hip surgery. But, I mean, mm-hmm. then you look at, for comparison's sake, you look at a guy like John Klingberg, where, I mean, obviously it, this is like comparing apples to marbles because he was a fifth-round pick and he wasn't. Like, I think a lot of people forget that Val was widely thought of as the third best prospect in his draft. And he mm-hmm. fell that far because basically of the Red of Scare. The red basically scare. of the Red Scare, yeah. But with Klingberg... I, they left him in Sweden to play for three years after they drafted him, and that mm-hmm. ended through four years. I'm, I missed it. Four years. They they brought him yep. into Texas for the playoffs after his third year in post draft in Sweden, and then they sent him back for the year after that. And he had a pretty decent year. Brought him over to finish the season in the AHL, and then started him his first year here in North America in the AHL, and he just ripped it up. And then the rest is, I mean. He's been in the NHL ever since then. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so difficult to project these guys. And I mean, I obviously, if I had an answer for it, I'd be doing something different than what I'm doing right now and be making a lot of money to do it. But it, it, it's obviously easy to do with hindsight because you sit here and you say, oh, you should have done the thing that you didn't do and maybe it would have worked out better. But there's just so many factors that go into it. And I just think... Once again, with the benefit of hindsight, they did a disservice to Val and his development by bringing him over and basically forcing Lindy Ruff's hand by saying, we got to play this kid, even if Lindy... And I mean, we talked about that a lot this year. Lindy Ruff is playing veterans over young guys. So -hmm. that kind of forced his hand in a direction that I don't think he's comfortable with as a coach. And that maybe sometimes he took that out on Val 
perhaps unfairly, maybe not unfairly, but maybe I, I could understand why it would rub Val the wrong way. Well, and, and the, yeah, and the whole situation was, we agree, it was completely a botched situation. And it's, it would have been fine had they worked, and that's why I was, I was worried, but I was happy when I saw that they did it, they figured it out the right way with Guryanov, because Guryanov's development, they went through, and it was very much player-driven. He wanted to come over, and he wanted to play in the AHL. He wanted a chance to... He wanted a chance to come over and be in North America, and there was a understanding, and there was a family understanding, a family background from Guryanov's agent from the beginning that he's going to come over and he's going to be an AHL player. That was never something... While with Nachushkin, his agent never wanted that, his family never wanted that, the player never wanted it, so he needed to stay in Russia. It's just, there was no... You were... It had to be black or white for Nachushkin. And different, you have to learn how to handle different attitudes and different players. And that's why I think some people look at Garyanov and got worried, like, is he going to be like Val? Well, he's a different player. But they found, they found the right way to handle the development there because they found this Russian kid who actually wanted to come over here and accepted playing in the AHL. Val, right. they should have kept right. in the KHL. Right. It's expect, like, And, I mean, now you look at it right now and when – you, you're looking at a player, and I feel like this is something that all teams should say, is if the player comes and says, I'm only coming if I'm playing in the NHL, and you don't think he's necessarily 100% ready to play a role that you have defined for him, leave him at home. Because when you're pigeonholing yourself right then and there, then you've already lost. Because, I, I mean, not that Val was even bad his rookie year. He had a pretty good rookie year. But to not be able to send him down for fear of alienating him or whatever you want to call it, that's, I mean, you have... You're already limiting your options right there. I think another way we have to think about this, too, is a lot of people need to remember that Matthias uh, Janmark wasn't supposed to be in North America last year. Like, I, I, think, I, I think remember I th- that. He actually had played, started the season in Sweden, had played in the, because uh, they have the, uh, played one or two league games or they have the uh, in Sweden they have a champ in, in Europe they have a champions hockey league thing similar to the champions league in soccer and he had played in a couple games for that with his Swedish club and then he'd come over to play in Traverse City and he was going to spend training camp here but then he was going to head back to to Sweden he was going to spend last year in Sweden they were going to that was going to be part of his development he was going to stay in Sweden but then as training camp gone and eventually won an NHL roster spot but they actually got to the point with him where it got to the point of the discussion where before it was a lock that he was going to make the NHL roster, they had to have the discussion with the player and the agent and, and figure out, would you be okay being that swing guy? Would you be okay if you're going to spend 35 games in the AHL and 35 games in the NHL? And they had to figure that out. And Yanmark ultimately ended up spending the entire season in the NHL, and it was one of the good stories from last year. But that just kind of goes into the interpersonal relations we have to manage because once Yanmark and his agent and his family and everything saw that there was an opportunity, there was actually an acceptance that, you know what, I would be willing to play in the AHL if it meant I'm also in the NHL this year. He wasn't going to stay here just to be an NH, just to be an AHL player who might get called up, but he was going to be willing to stay here for a guy who, to, and to be a guy who could play majority NHL games, maybe a couple games AHL games. It's, it's it's all handling and figuring out the personal communication with, with each individual player. And that's definitely a side of hockey that I think gets overlooked when you talk about coaching and management, is you're not just mm-hmm. managing cap and rosters and defensemen and all that, but you're also managing people on a very... And I mean, obviously, you're managing people from all over the world, from all kinds of different walks of life who grown up through different experiences and have different mindsets and that is probably not an easy thing to do it's almost like you need a freaking psychology degree to deal with that too and that's something that uh circling back to kind of how we almost dove into this conversation on coaching and lindy ruff and everything like that i think honestly i mean we can we can say and we can look at it, it this team's quit i mean you you they don't look like they're interested in playing hockey anymore they're not a good hockey team. I mean, it seems like they've quit on Lindy Ruff. It seems like the uh, you, you don't have to have any insight to see that. You can look at them play. They look like they don't care anymore. 
especially last, I mean, maybe from time to time, a guy will care and show up. Like, I mean, Ramielli's played great, the, played really well the last four games. He's trying to win himself an NHL job for next year. He cares, but. Right, right. But there's a number of other guys who, when you watch them play, you can tell that there's, there's no, there's no try, there's no care. Um, I think that whoever is the coach of this team next year, um, and the thing one of the, the stars really needed this year is they need somebody who can mend and fix and maintain relationships because I think one of the things that probably hurt the eight defenseman system even more so is you got your, your defenseman who's scratched every night, you got two defensemen scratched every night, you got young guys who don't know how it's going to work or anything like that, and there's no... And no one's going through and helping maintain that relationship. There's not someone who's helping keep them on board. And that's whoever the coach of this team is next year. And what they needed this year is you need someone like that who can go and be a better interpersonal relationship manager because that's something the stars don't have right now. And that makes sense. Like if we're looking at a point where this season kind of went off the rails I mean we talked about the eight defensemen a lot but if you're not and I get that it sounds ridiculous when you say it like this because it almost sounds if you're like trying to hold these guys' hands through it and it's like well they're professional athletes so they should figure it out themselves but it's like anything in life if you're doing something that you think you're doing well and then you're getting that negative reinforcement of being scratched and then you're sitting there like well what do you want me to do that and if no one's telling you what they want you to be doing then you're sitting there you're like well what the uh and that's what your your mind does. You're just sitting there with a blank, dumbass look on your face. Like, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. And it's so hard. And then that's how you lose guys. That's how you that's how you get guys to tune you out. That's how you lose get guys to lose respect for you because you're just like, well, I thought I was doing great, and now you're telling me you're showing your actions are showing me that I'm not doing great, and you're not telling me what I need to do to get back in the lineup. So what do you? want me to do i'm just gonna sit here then and just do my own thing i guess yeah it's there's not there's not answers and there's not uh there's there's no one giving there's no one going through and the other problem and i have a big problem with making coaching changes just based off win loss which is a very common thing that's happened and but a lot of coaches do that but right when you when you only make decisions off, if you just say, "Oh, we're going to keep these six defensemen together because we won or lost," that means you're not looking at why you won or lost, or what yeah. actually, or and what this, actually. It goes into one of my favorite Chris Bergeron isms ever, and the more that he says it, the more I kind of understand where he's coming from when he says. Well, you know, the result was good, but the process wasn't wasn't good enough. And mm-hmm. there is it, every time I hear that, I, my ears want to bleed because it's so coach speaky, and it's like, dude, cut the cliches. We get it, but it just it makes so much sense when you just stop and you analyze it and you think about it. Obviously, the results are what you're striving for in the NHL or in any sport league because this is mm-hmm. a result driven business. But and I mean, this goes into this ties into advanced stats and PDO and Corsi and all that stuff like that. In a way, if the process isn't good enough, the result's not going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Like you look at the Blue Jackets, where they win 18 straight games. They're not very good right now. They're, and it's because basically the process wasn't adding up to equal the result that they were getting. And eventually things like that course correct. And now we use Bowling Green once again as an example for everyone who's in Texas who doesn't know what Bowling Green is. I, it, it makes sense in my head. It doesn't make sense for anyone else. Basically, this was a team that was picked to win their conference in college hockey this year, and they were awful. for mo- Not awful. They weren't good for most of the first half. And they started to play a little bit better in the second half. They finished fourth in the conference. They've now won seven straight games and are playing for a league title on Saturday because the process has gotten better and the results have followed. And that's mm-hmm. what you need. You can't... Well, while it is a results-driven business... You can't let the results dictate how you're making your decisions. It has to be about the process because eventually things like that course correct. And if you, and it's, it's one of those things like when Boston fired Claude Julien and immediately after they started playing better because their process had been pretty decent throughout the entire season, really. They just weren't getting the results. 
and all of a sudden the results started to come. So it's like, it's one of, I don't really know how to tie this all together, but that's basically the point that I was trying to make to kind of further add into what you were saying that it can't just always be about the results. Well, and, and that's, and that's what it's about. I mean, the other thing it's, it's just, it's, I have to laugh at like, so the guy who has been scratched for egregious penalties and actually actually ever get reasons for it is So Patrick Nemeth just gets scratched and we never get a reason for it. It's just Patrick Nemeth is scratched. Um, but when Steven Johns is the one. When Steven Johns gets scratched, it'll be the next day we'll find out about how, oh, well, he didn't move his feet well enough. Or there was one time he threw the puck over a glass for a delay of game penalty, and that cost him like five games, which was, I think, I think we talked about that at the time. Now, his biggest mistake is he did that in a loss. If he makes that mistake in a win, he's still in the lineup. He throws if he throws the puck over the glass and all of a, and doesn't move his feet well enough and that's why he threw the puck over the glass. But they still win the game. He stays in the in the game. That's 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 just the example I think of right now because there's makes there's my no, head want to explode. Speaking of making your head explode and staying on Stephen Johns and we'll discuss it on the podcast here a little bit. If you're looking at, if you're protecting Stephen Johns or Jamie Alexiak, where does your thought process go on that? Because there is debate now. The organization does have to, is having that debate of who to protect as the third defenseman for the expansion draft. Where does your head go with that debate? Honestly, for me, it's probably going to begin and end with the fact that Stephen Johns is right-handed and those are a lot harder to find, so you might as well protect him. If all, because I mean, I can't really think of a reason why one would be over the other I mean they're both very similar players they both had very similar average mediocre seasons they're both about the same age off the top head I think uh they're six they're six months apart yeah so it's their age is similar their style of game is similar they both had pretty similar seasons for me the tiebreaker would probably be Steven Johns is right-handed is awful of a reason is that to say but I like the thought of taking that fourth round pick you got for Jordy Bennett saying here you go Vegas don't take the one we don't protect oh yeah I really like that idea that's an idea that I would certainly use um I think it's uh now I in in my mind it's it's a bit of a no-brainer you protect Stephen Johns in my mind because him being right-handed is one thing and I'm not putting it's that that can be as a tiebreaker if they're even but I just look at him, and he's a better player in general for me. Just and that's that's just looking at. And I'm, I don't even know what the analytics are on the two. I mean, I, I know I could pull them up right now, but I'm just talking based off just watching them both play. Um, there's Stephen Johns. I feel like makes better plays. There's times where there's times where Stephen Johns could be a lot better if he just had. If he just had a coach who was a defensive-minded coach who actually helped him, I think he could be a very good player. There's times where he makes plays, um, where Johns makes plays, where you think, why is he doing that? And I don't think the coaching staff is ever correcting it. So I don't know if, so I don't know if he's not smart on some of those plays, or if that the coach he doesn't he doesn't get any coaching on it. Um, I just think his potential and what he's shown me is more to protect than Jamie Alexiak. Um, I actually, and I I accept that Alexiak has gotten better as the season gone along, but I just still don't see him passing Johns in in my mind. Um, I know there's a debate within the organization for it, but and the best way to do it is if you can take that fourth round pick he got for Jordy Ben and protect them both. And the sad thing is, we're talking about where we're talking about protecting two defensemen that on a lot of NHL teams will be third pairing defensemen. That's that's the fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's 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 the saddest part about all of this is, um, I like Eslindell. I think Eslindell could be a very good NHL player, but he's not a first pairing defenseman on a good NHL team right now. That's he's he's played well and he's always worked his way through things. But you ideally, he's a second pairing defenseman. Well, right. the stars. The right. stars, the stars don't have a top. I mean, they have a top pair in John Klingberg and Essel Lindell, but John Klingberg is a top pairing offensive defenseman. John Klingberg is not a top pairing defensive defenseman. Obviously, um, he's Eric Carlson. He's Eric Carlson super light. <laughs> right. Well, I saw, I saw something too about the strides that Eric Carlson has made defensively the last year. So 
I mean, there's time for John Klingberg still too, so I'm not. But you're right. He's Eric. He's Eric Carlson when Eric Carlson first kind of burst on the scene, putting up points, and everyone was like, "This dude doesn't play defense," and now he's killing penalties and doing things well in the defensive zone. So he's kind of grown into a lot more of a well-rounded player of late. If I'm, if I'm Ottawa, actually, I don't care. I mean, I know Hilden. I want my defenseman. If he's my best defensive defenseman, fine. But I actually don't care if Eric Carlson's not killing penalties because if Eric Carlson is not if if Eric Carlson's going to get twenty five minutes a night, if he can have if I can take away four if if you're going to spend six minutes shorthanded, and if I can take those three minutes of him being in a defensive mind and put him in an offensive mind for three minutes, I'm fine with that. Actually, I'm okay with. Like, I don't care if John Klingberg doesn't kill penalties. I don't care about that. Because I actually want him to be used more offensively. <laughs> I don't disagree with that, but how much of that do you think was a player thing saying to his coach, I want to kill penalties because of the, not that all players necessarily listen to the crap that gets said about them by idiots like you and me, but how much of that do you think was him from a personal pride standpoint saying, I want to kill penalties because everyone's shitting on my defensive abilities and I want to be able to prove that I can do it. Or his agent saying, hey, you're not going to win a Norris Trophy without killing penalties? Right, exactly. Like, it's just something like that. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about agents today, but that could very much be a conversation that happened. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I agree, that's not the best way to utilize that player. Because, I mean, he's obviously not a big physical presence guy. I mean, if you feel like he's one of the, your best guys at getting the puck out of the zone or getting in the way... He's leading the league in block shots, if I remember correctly. Is he really? So, I mean, yeah, that's... um. Carlson is right. When I saw Eric Carlson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I saw that the other day. I could mm-hmm. be mistaken, but I mean, if you feel like he's one of your best four guys at getting pucks out of the zone, getting in the way of shooting passing lanes, then I mean, go for it. But I don't disagree with you that for a guy of that offensive caliber, that there are a lot better ways to utilize those minutes than potentially breaking bones, blocking shots. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we saw. <laughs> stars you saw we had Antoine Rousseau's season is done because he blocked a shot and it's uh it's one thing that's kind of odd to me and I was talking to somebody about this the other day um I feel like players don't try and block shots with sticks anymore like watching get watching a game it's it's something that uh I know it can take a weirder bounce and deflect and stuff like that but you see less and less of guys using their stick to actually block a shot, which I just feels like backwards to me because it's the least, it's your least expensive piece, not least, it's your most replaceable piece of equipment and the piece of equipment that's going to, if a stick breaks in half, okay, it's much better than I go and I drop, and me dropping down and putting my knee in front of a shot and missing. Yeah, Gregory Campbell and have your fibula sawed in half. I know, so... I just I think feel... you hit it on the head, though. I think it's just the deflection thing, that there's too many plays where a guy doesn't get all of it with his stick and it just changes direction ever so slightly and ends up in the back of the net and the coach yells at him, being like, if you're going to get in front of it, you better put your own body in front of it. Yeah. That's the only thing that I'd be able to think of. Yeah, but it's... it's you can... If you, if you keep your stick on, if you... It's just... That's a, that's a that's random musings for me and an observation of why don't we see more guys trying to actually block stock shots with their stick. Um, remember like 17 hours ago when you said you didn't know what you were going to talk about today? I did. I do remember that now. We've talked for a little a good while now. That's pretty good. I didn't think we'd make it this far. I thought we'd get to about 20 minutes. And like, <laughs> yeah, let's just call it a day. <laughs> I thought we. I thought we. I didn't. I didn't think we'd make it through an intro today. To be honest, <laughs> we we did it on the first try too. We're getting better at this. Yeah, the uh, the audio the audio is actually decent now, and the uh, let's just continue to pat ourselves on the back because uh, it seems like as the star season has spiraled further and further into uh, into uh, into destruction, the podcast like audio quality has gotten better and better. <laughs> It's an inverse relationship. The worse the stars play, the better we sound. Yes. It's, uh, well, the, uh, oh, real quick, touch on this before, because I think back in, like, podcast episode two or three, I put it out there that, and I wanted to say that it was something worth talking about, um, because I wanted to have a record of it, but the stars signed Landon Bow to an entry-level contract on Friday, and, um, stars goaltending is crap. We all accept that the, uh, <laughs> the 
the NHL goaltending's bad, the AHL goaltending's bad. Uh, I wrote something yesterday that uh, you realize since they've moved from Minnesota to Dallas, there's only two starting NHL goalies that have been developed, developed quote-unquote, by the Dallas Stars, and that's Marty Turco and Mike Smith. Those are the only two goalies that have played. Wow. Since 93. Every, the only only two starting goalies have gone through Dallas's developmental minor league prospect, whatever whatever you want to phrase it, and actually become starting NHL goalies. Yikes! Turco that with means, now that you think, I mean, but dude, and it's just think about how how many first round picks have they taken in goal during that to that time oh. too. Obviously, Jack Campbell. There was Beskorowane, um, a couple. Tyler seven. Tyler, Tyler Beskorowane. Or however the fuck you pronounce it, I don't know. I think it was Beskarani, Beskarani. Like yeah, whatever. Uh, what's the Swiss dude's name? I can see his Tobias Stefan. Yeah. I don't remember what round he was drafted in, but I remember him. Um, man, who else was there? Oh, I mean, recently you've got Phil DeRosier, who was a second round pick, and obviously there's still time, but he's reached the point where he. Uh, has been loaned out to another ECHL team that's unaffiliated. And and so, and I actually, speaking of DeRosie, I actually talked to a, uh, I talked to a hockey writer who's based out East who went and actually saw DeRosie play the other day against Elmira. And I asked him just for his thoughts. And uh, his first response was to me was, this guy was a second round pick. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yes, look at his ECHL. He's got almost a four goals against average in the ECHL. Mm-hmm. That's not good. No, it's that not. is not good at all. Yeah, um, yeah. So they've got they've only and every goalie solution in Dallas has ever been through free agency or trade. I mean, obviously Turco was the one that was the one exclusion was self developed and and was here for the bulk of that time. But Belfour was a tri- was a. Was Belfort a free agent or a trade? Pretty sure he was a free agent. Yeah, Belfort was a free agent. Um, the other solution, I mean, the two goalies now, not that they're solutions, but they both came in via trade, technically. I mean, uh, Niemi's well, Niemi, yeah, Niemi Niemi was technically a trade. Acquired. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, but to get back to a positive on all of this is I actually, now, there's no reason to believe it'll actually work but i think there's they do have something potential with landon bow there he's six five he's only 21 um i really like his act. i actually i think there's there's something to be said about uh his how he's kind of self-driven his development in idaho um, he's got the second best save percentage in the echl second best goals against average in the echl and he has uh and he everything's trended upwards for him. He early in the season, he played in the AHL and struggled a little bit, but then he's kind of everything since then he's self-corrected and it's, it's worked pretty well. Um, now the thing that, and the thing I wrote, yes, one of the things I wrote yesterday that people, the stars need to really look into is they need a full-time, they need a full-time goalie coach in the AHL. I asked Jim Nill about their AHL goalie coach and he pointed out that Mike Valley is their AHL goalie coach, but Mike Valley also splits his time between the AHL, the ECHL, he goes and sees the prospects in Finland. He goes and sees the prospects playing in the CHL. He goes and sees the guy playing college. And he also is scouting, too. So, yeah, That doesn't seem like a very good way to... That just seems like one guy wearing too many hats. Yeah, it's... Stretch too thin. While over in, in Jack Campbell, there was the money quote on this is from Jack Campbell, who said the other day... Well, he said earlier this season in a story on him that he worked with great goalie coaches in Dallas and, and Mike Valley and Jeffries, even mentioned their names, but said, it's a shame I didn't see them that often. <laughs> and now Campbell has a, and now Jack Campbell is, I'm not saying Jack Campbell is a future NHL starting goalie. I want to make that clear. He plays for a much better team in the King system. It's very, it's much easier to be a goalie in the King system than the star system. It's we, you pointed this out to me. I give you, what was it, two weeks ago now, where the whole Jonathan Boom. Quick get wrecked, <laughs> where the whole Jonathan Quick debate, where you, where everything was, where we talked about that. So I accept that, but he still has looked much better. He's played much better, and he gives all this credit to having a full time goalie coach in the AHL. Now, 
with the Stars' history and what they've done with goals and goalie prospects, it's it's what you hire a full-time goalie coach for seventy thousand dollars a year. I don't know. Just it's like it's it's it it seems like a it's, oh man, even if you're paying them two hundred k a year, that's nothing out of the organizational budget for the potential. Like clearly, you're not doing something right at all. Two hundred thousand dollars to fix what has been an institutional organizational problem for nearly. 30 years now, 25, 30 years, you'd think that that would be a pretty freaking smart investment to make. And it's, someone made the uh, example to me, which I thought was pretty good. And, and it's, it's kind of funny that we're going to use this exam. I'm going to use this example after we talked about how they're also people too. <laughs> but, but somebody, but somebody pointed out, somebody pointed out to me the other day about how not having a goalie coach in the AHL is like buying nice meats and not buying seasoning. <laughs> Like you buy a really yeah. nice, you buy a really yeah. nice, and this is of course is in the same podcast where I talked about how they're people and they need, we need to think about them as people as well. But it is a good example where if you're going to go acquire an asset that you think is going to be a key part of your future, one of the most important parts of the game, you've got to, you've got to do, you've got to do your due diligence to give it everything possible to succeed. And here we go. I got one. Okay. It's like buying like a hundred inch television set up for a home theater and then not getting a surround sound to go with it yes yeah or other electronic appliances and not just food so it's a little yeah, better we're not eating them at least it's a, it's a little better than yeah um we actually you know what we actually got a question real quick we had a question come in um, um best goalie in nhl history please tell me you two disagree on this i don't know if we disagree on this i don't know what ryan, i don't know who ryan thinks the best goalie in nhl history is I don't really know that I truly have an opinion on this. This is something that I'd have to look very deep into, and it's not something that I've ever truly devoted time to doing. I think that if you were going to just start looking at guys, it would be somewhere between Waugh, Broder, Hasek. I'd start with those three, and then, I mean, I don't necessarily think that one was better than the other, but those are three that I'd start with. I'll preface this with I grew up a I grew up a Devils fan. I grew up I played goalie because of Brodor and I watched him play and everything like that. But Dominic Oshik is the best goalie in NHL history. And I wouldn't disagree with that. So I I have no problem with that answer. Yeah. The you know what I want to see. This is I mean sticking on the context of goalies, but not mm-hmm. the current conversation. I really want to see them sign Chris now. Sign who? Bowling Chris Nell. Oh, okay, yeah. Goalie. They have uh they have a scout based out of either he was Buddy Powers. You know, you remember oh, Buddy Powers. I know Buddy, yeah. He's he's scout he scouts for Dallas, so I mean he's at just about every home game, so he's seen him a lot this year, the last three years. So I think he'd be a he'd be an intriguing guy to sign. Is uh speak actually we just had a I just speak Buddy Powers still is he still teaching the hockey class at Bowling Green? I don't think that there even is a hockey class here did, anymore. Did you ever take that? Was signed up for it my freshman year, and then they canceled it after Pooch resigned. I don't think I don't know if the two were connected at all, but yeah. Pooch resigned right before the start of the the school year, and then they I got an email saying the hockey class has been canceled. That was one. Buddy Powers' hockey class was one of my favorite classes in college. We played. We've had this conversation yeah, before. Yeah, we we played three days a week, and at the end of the semester, Buddy was like, "Well, we got to give you a grade somehow, so I want you to write one page, double space. If you were the if you were the god of hockey for a day, what would you do?" <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. But he gave us all A's. He's a nice guy. He's I've talked to him. He comes into beat ups every now and then and sits at the bar. We'll, we'll have a conversation every now and then. Do you know anything about uh speaking of college hockey just cuz I'm seeing this before I let us go here. Do you know anything about uh Bayreuther? Bob McKenzie uh, just who? Bob McKenzie just tweeted that uh uh let me pull him up here that that Dallas is one of the teams in on a prominent uh, def- uh defensive free agent uh Bayreuther from SLU. Hold on. St. Lawrence, I have no idea. That's, is that St. Lawrence? Hey, hey. AHA or some BCAC or something. So no, I have no idea. Let's see. From St. Lawrence. I know. I know. Aston Reese is 
the other guy he talked yeah. to is the only guy to go 30-30 this year. Yeah. Gavin Bayreuther, I'm probably butcher I'm probably butchering that first name and but um, had 29, 29 points. Defenseman who had 29 points in 30 games for St. Lawrence this year. Apparently, Buffalo, Dallas, New Jersey, and Colorado are the four teams in on potentially signing him, and he's likely to sign within the next 24 to 48 hours. So, something to keep an eye on. That'll be interesting to see. When was the last time that Dallas signed a prominent NA unrestricted college guy? I can't think of any. It's been a while since, if it has, it's been a long time. But yeah, I'd love them to see. I don't know that Mel is going to come out after this year because he had a tough start to the year for mm-hmm. some personal issues. But um, but he's been really, really strong in the second half. And obviously he was fantastic last year. And I think a lot of people thought he was going to go out after last year, but he chose to come back. How, how, what's, his, so, what, what's his size? Like, how big is he? Like six, six, two, six, three. Okay. They have, I think he's listed at six, depending on where you look, he's either listed at six, three or six, four, but he's, but he's probably shorter. He's probably he's, legitimately he's six, shorter. two. I think he's legitimately six, two, because they have a uh, Bednard who's six, five and who's legitimately six, five. And he's a couple inches shorter than him. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we got way more in today than I thought. So good for us. Um, we will, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, so since I've watched so much great hockey this year with the Dallas Stars, I'm going to treat myself on Wednesday this week and I'm going to watch Detroit and Colorado play just to add to, since that's the type of hockey oh, I appear to be watching. Do, why would you, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> oh, that's abysmal. I think I'd rather watch, Did I, lose you? I wouldn't rather watch pain dry. No, I'm still here. Hello. Well, that's the perfect way to end the call. That's the perfect way to end this, since we just, with a misconnection, 